Let's get into God's Word, Acts chapter 18. Uh, we're, we're, we're moving along here. Chapter 28 is coming and get, getting a little closer. But man, I don't know about you guys, but I've been just immensely blessed in the book of Acts. And I, I think God's just been uh, really meeting us where we are in, a, in an awesome way. And I pray that's the case again this morning. Uh, last week, as we finished chapter 17, remember we saw Paul going into Athens and Upon arriving there, he saw all of the idolatry. He saw that uh, there was idols on really every corner and that the people were given over to them. And it provoked his spirit. It, it stirred his spirit. It grieved him. And yet, it didn't move him to sin. Instead, it moved him to respond. And despite being mocked by the intellectuals there in Athens who were really the biggest fools in Athens... Paul still stepped up and he, in love, shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and he pointed them from dead idols to the living God. Remember he said, these things you worship, uh, you know what, they have no life in them and you need to turn to the living God who gives you life and gives you the ability to even be able to move. He also pleaded with them that we all come from one blood. And that's a great truth this world needs to know today. There aren't multiple races. There's one race, the human race. And we are one blood, uh, descendants from Adam and Eve. And we talked about how the fact that the Bible records that and really DNA and modern real science uh, validates that and proves that. He talked about how God has set men in nations and put borders in place and hopes that men would grope after God and just a powerful powerful passage we looked at last week and then at the end of the chapter we saw Paul moving on to Corinth and he's still waiting for Silas and Timothy to come and join him and this is where we pick up things this morning and I titled the message this morning counsel on Christian living and I believe these things all will tie together nicely but we're looking at several different little points as we go through these first 11 verses uh first of all really looking at the church in corinth paul would write two epistles to them and boy there's a lot we can learn from those epistles uh and just from the church and even considering corinth and how carnal and wicked this city was and yet a church was birthed and and people listen they were they were compelled at the preaching of the gospel and a great work began in that church and there were glorious things going on there and there were also many problems in this church, yet God would be faithful to them. Faithful to them. So we'll consider that. And again, we'll just be looking at some things like touching on biblical marriage a bit and uh, tithes and offerings, giving to the Lord, and even when to share the gospel and when we need to know to walk away from sharing the gospel with certain individuals that are resistant. And then praise God once again, we'll get another uh, encouragement and exhortation to trust in the Lord that we need not walk in fear, but we can walk by faith knowing our God's going to go before us. And I, I think we need that exhortation every time we get together right now to, to, to put our eyes on the Lord and to know that the Lord's with us and he'll be faithful to us. And we'll see the Lord conveying that to Paul, but not just conveying that to Paul, he's conveying that to us this morning in Christ Jesus. So let's read through the passage together. We got 11 verses and then we'll jump into this and and just really pray that God blesses our Bible study greatly this morning. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. 
and he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there, there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And then verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And the Lord willing, next week we'll see a continuation of him there in Corinth. But let's look at that this week and start here in verse 1 where it says, after these things. And we touched a little bit on what those things were. Paul there in uh, Athens and sharing the gospel there. But I want to go back to right at the end of that passage after these things and we know at the end of that passage last week, it says in Acts 17.32, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, uh, some mocked while others said, we'll hear you on this matter. Then it talks about others believed. And it's interesting here, Paul had been faithful to preach there in Athens. Now he's led to go to Corinth. And before he left, there were some folks that were considering and they said, hey, we'll hear you again on this matter but the truth is they wouldn't hear Paul again and we briefly touched on this last week at the end of their study but it was pressed on my heart to go back to it as we go from after these things to the things we're looking at now you know what again uh, while others said we'll hear you again on the matter and really when they said that that was foolish talk it was foolish talk for them it was foolish talk for us because the truth is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. And, and I think that's something that, number one, should humble us. And on the, other t- on the other hand, it should be something that encourages us. Because have you ever leaned on your own understanding and you got it all figured out what's going to happen tomorrow? I think in the midst of what's going on in our nation right now, there's a lot of folks, you know, they're leaning on their own understanding. And instead of looking to the Lord and leaning on their own understanding, they're fainting because they got it all figured out what's going to happen tomorrow in their mind and in their mind getting influenced by individuals that do have wicked agendas. But listen, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, We know what the Lord's going to do. We know the Lord's coming soon. We don't know when he's going to come. And we can know in Christ Jesus that God's going to go before us. But specifically what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't know. And listen, we, we need to be reminded and sobered of that in Christ, encouraged in that. But listen, even more than that, if you don't know the Lord and, and, and you're saying, I'm going to wait till tomorrow 
or I'm going to come back again next week to hear about this. It's awesome that you're seeking the Lord, and that's a beautiful thing. But these folks said, we'll hear more about this from you, Paul, later on. And, and Paul got called to leave. Now, now, hopefully someone else got raised up and shared with them, but we don't know if that happened or not. And just with that in mind, look at James 4.13. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, and this is something that we all need to practice. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And it's one thing for a non-believer to say, hey, we'll hear you later. They don't know the Lord, but listen, we should be responsible on these things. Look, at even I'll give you a tip here, a, a, an evangelism tip. In your day-to-day doings and so forth, man, start tacking a, the Lord willing upon, you know what, your conversation and your speech. Hey, yeah, we're going to get there next week to start the job, the Lord willing. Man, whenever you can bring the Lord into the situation, that's a good thing. And I guarantee you some people will hear that. It might open up a larger conversation. It might even be a seed planted. Whenever we can lift up the name of the Lord, we should absolutely do that. Also, though, listen, it was foolish talk and them saying, we'll hear you again. But it was also, again, negligent to their own souls, putting off the response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you know this morning that in your life, there's nothing more valuable as far as in your person than your soul. Again, we know Jesus said in Mark eight thirty six, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul or what shall he give in exchange for his soul and if you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online or you're in the sanctuary in there and you have been putting off the lord i'm going to tell you again we don't know what's coming tomorrow and i know that the lord is calling you today again second corinthians 6 2 says in an accepted time i have heard you in an acceptable time i have heard you and the day of salvation I have helped you. And then it says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I can't implore you or encourage you enough that you need to respond to Jesus today. Listen, we are sinners. In our sin, we're separated from God. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your sin. He laid down his life for you. He rose from the grave. And he is the only bridge to forgiveness and eternal life. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so again, I encourage you, if you don't know him, to respond to him. And I also encourage you, if you do know him, to respond to him. Don't put the Lord off and what he is calling you to do today. Because you know what happens when we keep doing that? Day after day after day begins to stack up. It becomes a pattern. And before we know it, listen, that vapor passes. We stand before the Lord and we find out we've wasted our lives. God hasn't put here to, us here to waste our lives. He's put us here to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that this morning? Now listen, again, before Timothy and Silas had arrived in Athens, Paul moves on to Corinth. And Corinth is a very interesting city. Uh, some have said that uh, Corinth was 
the capital of evil in that day. That it was like the combination of the worst of Hollywood, Las Vegas, and San Francisco combined in one place. And listen, there's some good things in those places, and there's some believers in those places, but those are places that are, you know, notorious for sinful activity and wicked vices, and that was the case in Corinth. Corinth was also right on the route if you were going south to north in Greece, and so it would become a hub of commerce as well as a hub of evil. In fact, in those days when they would have plays, if there was a Corinthian that was being portrayed in a play, he was always portrayed as a drunk And there was a proverb, he lives like a Corinthian, which was expression to, uh, you know, refer to someone who lived in debauchery, who just lived in carnality, just in the pursuit of wickedness. Now, no doubt that wasn't all of them there, but it was the majority of the folks in that place. And and listen, in, in just learning of that and reading of that history, and it's really implied in the passages, the epistles to those in Corinth and so forth, you, you know the conclusion I come to? It sounds like the perfect place to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? You don't even need to convince them they're sinners. They already know it. Just take them to the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're reading about Paul doing that, and we know that a great church would get planted in Corinth. Again, there would be two letters written to them. In those letters, there'd be a lot of correction. There'd be a lot of encouragement. And boy, they're Letters written for us for correction and encouragement as well. And beautifully, listen, in the midst of this city marked by debauchery, many, many, many people, as we just read the text and we'll get deeper into it, many people would come to know the Lord. Because I'll tell you about places that are marked by debauchery, they're always as well marked by great sorrow. Yeah, a lot of temporary pleasure. But boy, a lot of destruction of the soul. And a lot of times those folks are a lot closer to coming to Jesus Christ than individuals that are revered by society or, you know, at well-to-do that think they got it all together. Sometimes those folks are farther away from getting saved than the people that are living, you know, at these lives of great rebellion and seeing the ramification of their sin kicked in their face Every single day, again, uh, sin is pleasurable for a season, but then death starts to set in. And probably one of my most, you know, one of, one of my, my most favorite passages in the scripture, it, it, it talks about many of these in Corinth that came out of these lifestyles and came to Christ. First Corinthians 6, 9, it says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it says, do not be deceived. And God does not want us to be deceived in that. If, you know what, you're not in Christ, in your righteousness, listen, it's unrighteousness, and you won't inherit the kingdom of God. He says, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen, there's a difference between practicing those things and rejecting Christ and knowing Christ and wrestling with those things. Let's make that clear. But it says those that, again, are unrighteous, they don't have faith in Christ, they practice these things, and this, this could be a lot longer. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. 
But notice the glorious verse 11 here. And such were some of you. Is that not glorious this morning? And in Christ, that's true for us this morning. Such were us. But notice, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And that's what would happen in Corinth. These people that were deep into these lifestyles of rebellion would hear the gospel and God would begin a marvelous work. He would wash them and cleanse them and justify them, not in their own name and not by their own actions. We can't find that for any of us in our own name and actions. But why? Through Jesus Christ and what he's done. Do you know this morning in Christ Jesus, is he your Lord? Can you say amen to that? You're justified in the Lord. And I love it. It was said by some simpleton at some time, yet so beautifully. What does it mean to be justified? Just as if you had not done it. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? And so this church would be birthed. And we'll look at, again, the birthing of it here. And on one hand, it would be a very charismatic church, a very spirit-filled church. And we should be a people wanting to be a spirit-filled church, empowered from upon high. The Lord had told the early church in Acts 1-8 to go wait in Jerusalem for power upon high, for the Spirit of God to, to, to empower them to take the gospel out. And listen, I pray that for our fellowship, that we'd be a spirit-filled and a spirit-led church. On the other hand, though, they were a carnal church. And it was a church that was marked by divisions and self-promotion and jealousy and immorality and lawsuits and a lack of order and a lack of love. And it's interesting, in that first letter in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul takes a whole chapter to talk to him about what love is. And so on one hand, I say, yeah, let us be that, a charismatic church. But Lord, let us not be found a carnal church. Lord, crucify those things. Grow us past those things. Let us be more rooted in truth and in love. But I'll tell you beautifully, like us, they were a church that was saved. By grace through faith in the Lord, positionally they were right with God. Practically, they were a work in progress. It's the same truth for us this morning, right? Praise God, we're saved by Him. And praise God, He's faithful to continue to work in us like He did in Corinth. I love Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this very thing, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's glorious. Now notice verse 2. It says, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. And so it's interesting, Paul found them. We don't know if he stumbled upon them, or if he knew they were coming, and he sought them out. What we do know is that the Lord directed his steps. God guided his steps. And we need to be reminded of that this morning, that the Lord is guiding and directing our steps, and He will guide and direct our steps. Proverbs 16.9, just, just so you know, I'm not, that's a pretty big statement, a pretty bold statement. I, you need to know I'm not making that up. A, man, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And then notice Psalm 37.23, the steps of a good man. And again, in Christ Jesus, we have a goodness in us that's from the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And I love this. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, 
for the Lord upholds them with his hand. And see, this was true for Paul and it's true for us in Christ. The Lord directed his steps. And we need to know that afresh this morning in a world that's trying to limit our steps. In a world that's trying to hinder our steps. This morning, and let this word be a liberating, liberating word for you if you have been bound in bondage by the news of the day. Listen, we need to have confidence in this truth. You need to have confidence in this truth this morning in Christ Jesus. Your steps are directed by God Almighty. And hear this, they're not directed by Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or Bill Gates or even Donald Trump. And if you have not been stepping forward and the steps laid out by God in your life, if instead you've been laid out in despair. And I'll say, I've been grieved lately. I see many Christians laid out in despair because of what's going on in Washington. And we should be grieved. We should be praying for our country for many, many reasons. But if you're laid out in despair and downtrodden and defeated over the state of our country, it's time to get up and get moving and be directed by the Lord Jesus Christ and quit giving mortals such power over you. You serve the living God. The living God is directing your steps. And listen, be encouraged with this word as well. Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. And maybe we're in a place where God wants to weaken the political influence of his church to get us all the more to be dependent upon God so we can get some real strength from upon high from the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. Because we, we've been looking at men too much. It's time for us to really be looking up and get moving. Be encouraged in the Lord. God is directing your steps and God's going to go before you as he has to this day. Now Aquila and Priscilla, along with all the Jews were driven out of Rome by Claudius. This was in the year 49 AD. And we need to ask the question, why would he do such a thing? Well, this was a move that was anti-Semitic, which is always in line with a spirit that is anti-Christ. And we talk about this often because it's throughout the scripture. Satan has always strived to destroy the Jewish people. And he's always strived to do that to try to prove God a liar. In the Old Testament, he tried to destroy the Jews to prevent the Savior from coming through the lineage of King David and for the Messiah to come through Israel because he knew if I can prevent that, then I can prove God a liar and men would not have a Savior. And in this day, he is still trying to destroy Israel to try to prevent the Savior from returning to save all of Israel as the Bible prophesies God will do in the book of Romans and many other places. And I tell you, for Claudius, he might have thought he was the victor in driving the Jews out of Rome there. But sadly, he would be the loser in the matter. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, speaking of Israel. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that was a reference to Christ coming through Israel. And indeed, we are blessed this morning in part because God used Israel to bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, as the Jews were, be, were being driven out then, Jews this day are being driven out of many nations. There is an incredible anti-Semitic, which is an anti-Christ spirit 
that is an operation in this world today. You see this happening in Europe. A lot of Jews, you know, still fleeing that that bringing together of Israel still happening. I know there's been a lot of uh, Jewish rabbis, and this is a people that needs the Lord. This is a people that, for the most part, is deceived. It's not a perfect people. They do a lot of erroneous things. Listen, there's a lot of persecution they bring on themselves because of their behavior. And all the more praise to God that God's being faithful to them and is going to bring Israel to salvation. But we even have rabbis in America that are encouraging the Jews, you need to get out of here and the way things are trending. So listen, that was happening then. That's happening today. It's part of prophecy. But I'll tell you, this is happening in many more places today to Christians. Being driven out of places. Being persecuted. Uh, I think us as Americans, we're late to the party, but I think that the party has come to us. (laughs) And I just even know in the last, you know what, Weeks and even over the last nine months, there has been a great assault to get Christian ministries off social platforms. And people just, you know what, who, who spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money to build platforms and audiences on these social media platforms that's reaching thousands of people, and they're just getting cut off at the knees. This past weekend, through the summer, we've had issues with Facebook and YouTube. We've been shadow banned multiple times. This past week, we all of a sudden, we couldn't boost our posts anymore. And it says we violated their terms. And my wife said to me, uh, it was on Thursday, and, and she said, do you think it's something you said last night? And I said, I think it was everything I said last night. <laughs> we investigated and praised God. We, 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 we were able to to get some things open back up again with that. Um, But listen, I know that there's more of this is coming. And and it's going to be a a, a lot wider than just internet and social media restriction. And follow me with this. Don't get filled with fear in this. The Lord told us that would be the case. Again, speaking of the end times in Matthew 24, 9, Jesus said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Now, he's not talking about every Christian getting martyred, but he's talking about the temperature of the day before the coming of the Lord, that we'll go through some tribulations, some turbulent times. I think we're going through a bit of that right now. There's Christians being martyred all over the earth, and and that might come to this land. I don't know. He says, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And listen, that's very popular today to hate Christians, to hate Christianity, to hate Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Scripture. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12, we look at it often, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. And then he says, but evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. deceived." So those that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, is that you this morning? Can you say amen to that? He's saying for two Christians, not one in name and only, because... Every true Christian should desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. That should go hand in hand. In fact, when every true Christian doesn't want to live godly in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is going to take you to the woodshed to correct you. Because he knows living godly in Christ Jesus, that's where abundant life is found. And God wants the best for you. We see here that there's going to be a broadening of this and a widening of this. 
Now listen, if you're a Bible light, if, if, if you're a, you want to be a Laodicean, if, 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 if you have a low view of Scripture, if you've given in to this idea that all roads lead to God, which is a lie, damn souls to hell, if, if, if you're down with these, you know, immoral doctrines and lies of the day, you're probably going to be all good. You, you probably, in fact, not only will you not be rejected by the world, you're going to be embraced by the world because that's how the world is. And most likely you'll flourish. And I'll tell you, I see a lot of compromise today in a lot of churches wanting to be just like the world to avoid being driven out of certain areas and ver- ver- versus play, you know, different places and so forth. And listen, it might even look like they're flourishing, but you'll flourish, hear this, until the day you stand before God. Because then we're going to give an account. And far better to be a soldier that has fought the good fight, that has waged the war, and standing before your Lord beat up and bruised and battered, and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. (laughs) And then listen, on top of this, Paul gets this encouragement at the end of this. But if you're a true follower of the Lord, if he's your Lord, and again, we're saved by grace through faith in him, don't despair, rejoice and trust in your God. Because Jesus said in Matthew 8 or 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it goes on from there that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Take that into your heart and internalize it today. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, listen, they were a true power couple in the Lord. And we know that not because they ran around saying, hey, the power couple's here. But because the Lord, you know, it documents their life. And we see that God dynamically worked through this couple. It's interesting. They were married and they had a wonderful marriage, but in a way they didn't live as if they were married. And not to say that there wasn't a love there or romance there or their marriage wasn't important. It was incredibly important. But it was a couple, hear this, that put the Lord first. They put the Lord and the call to minister to the Lord above even the call to minister to one another. Now, they did that absolutely. But the Lord came first. 1 Corinthians 7, it's an interesting chapter. And... It's a chapter that talks a lot about marriage. And in it, Paul says, I wish you were all like me. I wish you were single. Because when a man's married, there's so much attention put to his wife that oftentimes the things of the Lord get ignored, paraphrasing here. And says the same thing about the wife. I wish you were all like me. You were all single. Now listen, there is a call to singleness on some. Most got a call to eventually get married. And boy, again... There's a lot of growth that comes through both of those things. I think the key is whether we're single or whether we're married, absolutely the Lord is first. Paul would write to those in Corinth in chapter 7, verse 29 of 1 Corinthians and say, but this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now this isn't out for your marriage that you're trying to get out of. Oh, I'm going to claim that scripture. This is again saying, again, we're, we're exhorted to love our wives as Christ loves the church, men. Women are called to respect their husbands. Listen, we're called to minister to each other. 
But some people get so focused in on their ministry and their house or their, their marriage and their household and all this stuff, they never consider Jesus. <laughs> when it should be, we consider him first together, and our marriage is a ministry, and our household is a ministry, and we raise our kids to be ministers. Jesus is first in our home. Verse 30, it says, those who weep as they don't weep. Those who rejoice as they don't rejoice. This is huge. Those that buy as if, as if they don't possess. Easy to get caught up in all these things. And those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Listen, they had a wonderful marriage, and it was really built on Jesus being first. What I also find interesting about these two, indeed they are, you could probably put a good argument for the power couple of the New Testament. God uses this couple in powerful ways. And yet I find it perplexing, I never see him hosting one marriage conference in any of these places they went. But what do we see them doing? At the end of this chapter, Lord willing, we'll look at it next week. They come across a fellow named Apollos, who's zealous for the Lord, but ignorant concerning a lot of things. And in Acts 18, 26, it says, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They explained the way of God more accurately. They didn't do marriage conferences, but instead, they collectively taught people about the way of following Jesus. Now listen, Biblical marriage conferences are wonderful. We need help oftentimes with practical truths on communication and conflict resolution and understanding our roles. But hear this this morning. Unless you're abiding in Jesus and Jesus is first, those things are like putting a band-aid on a gashing wound. Is there disorder in your home? If there's disorder in your home, someone needs to start repenting. Maybe both y'all. Because Jesus said in John 15, fine, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We got to start by abiding in the Lord. You seeking the Lord, putting him first, returning to your first love and then you collectively, seeking the Lord, begin to pursue after Him. And yes, again, there's oftentimes little things that need to get tweaked and built on and so forth. But if that foundation isn't there, you can go to marriage conferences all day long. If you're building a house on a sand, it's going to fall, going to be a great fall, in fact, the Scripture says. Verse 3, it says, So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. Now, we're kind of jumping from subject to subject here. And as I read this, you know what? The question comes up, why was Paul having to make tents to pay his bills? What in the world's going on here? He'd been commissioned by the church in Jerusalem, by the church in Antioch. At this point, he's planted multiple churches, so he's the founding pastor of multiple churches. And biblically, his bill should have been being paid by those churches. 1 Corinthians, once again in Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Paul writes to them and says, Do you not know those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? 
And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the Lord. Listen, in the Old Testament, you read about all those sacrifices. That meat was eaten by the Levites and their families. He says, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And you would think Paul would have been being funded by the church. And yet that was not the case for the most part. Again, even though it's biblical, several verses there in your notes. Galatians 6, 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Or Romans 15, 7. For the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And it goes on from there. And yet, sadly, at this point, only one church was financially supporting Paul, the church of Philippi. We know from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, it was the poorest of all of the churches. And yet they were the only one ministering and helping Paul. But hear this. They were also the only one that was given an incredible promise from the Lord. Philippians 4, 14 through 19. Follow along. I know when we read a little bigger passage, it's easy to hear a bird or whatnot. It says, nevertheless, you have done well and that you've shared in my distress. Now you Philippians also know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then notice verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus, now our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. And it's interesting, many times I hear that verse plucked out, God will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, and it's easy for people to say, that's all of us, right? No, in context, he's talking to those who stepped out of faith and were cheerful givers, and they gave. It's not that God's going to forsake his children that aren't you know, giving and contributing or tithing or serving. He's faithful to us, amen. But there is an added promise. This church was giving out of their poverty and they got a word from God. My God supply, supply all your need according to his riches uh, in, in glory in Christ Jesus. And this is reiterated throughout scripture. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. Malachi 3 speaks of this. God says, you're not going to, who's man? You're not going to rob God. And he talks about holes in their pocket because they don't give unto the Lord. He says, test me in this area though. And see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and bless you. And some say, well, that's just Old Testament talk, Steve. We don't need to give unto the Lord. We're, we have liberty. You do have liberty. But use your liberty to honor God, for goodness sake, man. We got liberty to be stingy, you know. And we got liberty to, to be generous in the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. I ran into people. They say, well, listen, I seek God first. All this will be added unto me. 
But they'll even say, but I don't tithe or give to anything. Well, listen, you're not seeking God first then, because Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do you believe that? So that each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And listen, that's what we want in this fellowship. Cheerful givers. Not people giving begrudgingly or out of necessity. That's why we really try to avoid, you know, the thermometer here with, you know, the different checks when there's a building project. We have a necessity. If you don't start, if you don't start giving, this church will collapse. Well, then it should probably collapse. And I found over the years that, listen, God always provides. God always stirs a heart. And I can tell you this as well, listen, part of that reaping bountifully, hear this this morning, it's the joy found in giving to the Lord of your first fruits. It's a joyous, it's a glorious thing. There's a great joy found in worshiping the Lord in that manner and taking that step of faith. There's also a great confidence that comes with it. Come what may, I know my God's going before me. I know that we are in the Lord's economy. And I'll tell you, I won't be careful because the Bible says don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. But I can tell you this, in my life, I know my wife would attest to this, one of the great joys that we have had as a married couple in the ministry, uh, you know, in our marriage the last 26 years, is giving first under the work of the Lord. It is, it is one of the most joyful things of my life. And I'll tell you, I've watched God supply our needs and the needs of this church over and over and over again. And there has never been one time that I have regretted giving un, unto the Lord first. He has always made the way. Be encouraged with that this morning. Be encouraged with it. Because I, I bear witness with Paul he says, I want to see fruit abound to your account. I want to see that abounding to your account. And I know some people manipulate, manipulate these things and they twist them and, and, and they, they use it to oppress people. And then there's other pastors that don't even come to this because, boy, I don't want to be one of those money preachers. We're looking at the scriptures here, amen. We're looking at the word of God here. And you don't want to get robbed of those blessings that found when you step out of faith and you joyfully give unto the Lord first. Now, Paul was a tent maker, so he began to make tents. He got to pay his bills. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, provided it's ordained by God. In some cases, listen, some aren't getting paid because they're not called. And more often than not, today there's many that get paid that aren't called, but they're, they're hirelings that excel at itching ears. For Paul, though, listen, it was something that was freeing for him, and God used it for good, because there was a lot of opposition against Paul, and he didn't want to be in a place where he was accused of just doing what he was doing to make a paycheck. And so, actually, in the letters to the Corinthians, again, he addresses this, and he says, listen, I endure this because I don't want the gospel to be hindered. Now, notice verse 4, and we've got to get through this in 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 hyperdrive now i can preach faster <laughs> verse four he reasoned 
in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So once again, take it to the gospel, to the Jew first, also to the Greeks that were there. No doubt reasoning from the scriptures. And then verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled, compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now this is interesting. He's already persuading them. And then Silas and Timothy show up and now he's compelled. And I think this could be one of two things. I think it could be a picture of brothers and the Lord coming and no doubt they prayed together and with that all the more there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God. I think it could also be that initially Paul just laid the groundwork and then when these brothers showed, you know, he already showed them who the Messiah would look like in the Old Testament and perhaps when they showed up, now he really showed them that Jesus was the Messiah that he's been showing them in the Old Testament. Now notice next, Verse 6, it says, but when they opposed and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And it seems like they were fine with him reasoning in the synagogue. And this is one of the reasons why you have to think that maybe he was just initially just doing the groundwork, showing them, again, all the verses in the Old Testament that talk about Messiah, and then Silas and Timothy show up and he's all compelled by the Spirit to say, and Jesus is that Messiah. And then upon hearing that, they opposed him and they blasphemed him. And I'll tell you, there's a great truth in this. Listen, there's no name or no person that divides like Jesus Christ. In fact, he even said, you're foolish if you think he came to bring unity. He came to bring a sword. There's nothing that sets people off like the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentioned Jesus and they flipped. They opposed him. They blasphemed the name of the Lord. And what does Paul do at this point? He does something that the Lord teaches him to do in Matthew or in Mark 6 and Luke 10. He says, shake the dust off your feet. (laughs) And that dust will be a witness against them. Paul had already done this early in Acts chapter 13. When it was the same situation. He said, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. He shook his garments. I can see him just shaking his, shaking his coat there. And this is something that we need to learn. I think some people, in, in, in their great zeal to see someone get saved, they don't know when to take their foot off the gas. You know? They, 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 a little salt's good, but then they just keep salt, salting those french fries, you know? And at some point, you know what? It, it, it doesn't taste good anymore. And we start moving from being compelled by the Spirit to our flesh trying to save people, it never produces good results. Jesus said in, Mar, in, excuse me, in Matthew 7, 6, Do not give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pulls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And Paul recognized it's time to shake off the dust and move on to greener pastures. And it's not that you don't quit praying for those people. And it's not that you don't quit asking God to give you direction concerning those people. But there just comes a time oftentimes in certain situations you've got to pump the brakes and say, okay, it's time to shake the dust off. I've got to commit these folks to the Lord. It's interesting, Paul also that makes a reference to being a faithful watchman. 
your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. And I don't got time to read it, but if you go to Ezekiel 3, it talks about watchmen. And if an enemy was coming and the watchman blew the trumpet, then those people that heard the trumpet, if they don't respond, the blood's on their own hands. But if that watchman didn't blow the trumpet and the enemy came in to destroy them, that was on the watchman's hands. In Christ Jesus, we're all watchmen. Do you know that? We got a call to blow the trumpet to tell people about the Lord. So he says, from now on, I go to the Gentiles and basically saying, I'm, I'm going to different pastures and it would be a greener pasture. Verse 7, he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God. And I find this ironic. His house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> so he leaves the synagogue and he goes one door down. And it's beautiful because one door down, he would find a green pasture. Just one door down. And be encouraged this this morning because it's easy to come to a place where there's a lot of resistance to the Lord and it's easy to step back and say, I'm, I'm done doing this. There's too much resistance. But it could just be one door down, man. They're ripe and they're ready to hear. They're itching to hear. He goes one door down and enters into this home. And listen, it's amazing the turn of events that happened. Because in verse 8, it says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Well, listen, that's the same synagogue where Paul had been preaching. It's the same synagogue where the bulk of the people blasphemed God. And they, they resisted him and they opposed him. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm shaking the dust off my, off my garment. And he went one door down. And I have to think that perhaps shaking that dust, God used it to open the eyes of the ruler of the place. Maybe he was going along with the crowd, but in his mind, he was considering that. And when he saw Paul, you know, taking that biblical step, I don't know. But what a turn of events. The ruler of that synagogue got saved. His family got saved. And then many in Corinth, many of these heathens in this place of debauchery heard they believed and then they got baptized so they made even a public declaration in the middle of this wicked city take me right out in the public and baptize me i want everyone to know that jesus is my lord and i read this and i thought man his ways aren't my ways i'll tell you if i got rejected like that i wouldn't want to go one door down i want to go on the other side of town and maybe go back to athens amazing how god does things and then we'll close with this. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in a night vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Just about everywhere Paul went, he faced opposition, or opposition would follow him. And listen, that's going to have a wearing effect upon any soul. And I have to think when he got this word, perhaps there was temptation and perhaps he was beginning to shrink back or consider the idea of shrinking back out of a fear. You ever been there before? <laughs> but God gives him a word and a vision. Don't fear and don't keep silent. God's given us that word. Matthew 10, 27 and 31. He says, whatever I share with you and 
darkness speak from the rooftop and don't fear men who can destroy the soul but or the body but fear God who can destroy the soul the words for us today don't fear speak truth and then the next word he says I'm with you and we touch on this the Lord told us he's with us Matthew 28 20 I'm with you to the end of the age he's with us this morning and then he gives Paul a specific word you won't be attacked in this city now there were other places where it was told to Paul you are going to get attacked in this city whoever owns this belt at one point he's told you're going to face great tribulation but hear this in both cases the counsel was the same do not fear don't fear the lord is with you the lord will go before you and so he stayed there a year and a half looks like he set up a bible school there and really got to know these people teaching them the word of god what a glorious thing we'll probably come back to those thoughts next week the lord willing let's stand up and pray and and close and worship in the lord Lord God, we bless you. We give you praise, God. Just thank you for our morning here. Thank you for all these saints, God, that have braved the fog and the cold to come out today, God. I'm I'm blessed by every one of them, Lord. I know you're blessed by every one of them, God. Lord, thank you for your word, God. And Lord, let the truth of, Lord, this passage we looked at, God, just bring liberty and strength, God, and encouragement to our souls. Lord, let us respond to the word, God. If there's been some words of rebuke for any here today, God, I I pray that you won't be all offended and leave and I'm not ever coming back, but instead they'll deal with your word, God. Lord, we know you cut us with your word to cut bad things out, to bring healing, to bring good things forward. I hope and pray, God, hearts have been encouraged and comforted and Lord, that truth that you're with us to the end of the age, I pray that it would permeate us, get hold of us. Lord, that truth would, Lord, radiate through us from the bottom of our feet to the head, top of our head all of our days. My God is with me and my God's directing my steps. And listen, if you haven't called upon Christ as we started this morning, today's the day of salvation. Jesus, or the word says, whoever calls upon the Lord, the name of the Lord will be saved. Ask Jesus to save you today, to forgive you, to be your Lord and Savior. He'll meet you where you're at. He absolutely will. He'll begin a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. Blessed be in that place right now, God. We thank you and praise you. Let's lift our voices as we close here and worship to our God. You turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Sing that again Water you turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome power 
into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome and God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against us? truth. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord. We got half an hour before the next service. So as I always do, just encourage you to encourage others before you leave today and just uh, pray God greatly shines his face on you. God bless you.